0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello everybody, it's May the 13th, 2021. Uh, It's mid-afternoon on the West Coast, early evening uh, on the East Coast, there are two major, at least domestic, stories uh, which have been dominating uh, the American news over the last few days. Uh, the first is this debate about what has been called the big lie, a civil war within the Republican Party, perhaps a, a war about ontology, about uh, the grasp of reality or of factual reality. This. Cleavage, if, if to, to choose a word, between Liz Cheney and the Trumpists, um, and this is part of a broader debate about facts and democracy. Uh, lots of debates about how disinformation is undermining voting and democracy. Um, some people are suggesting that there is a civil war brewing in the Democrat, in the Republican Party, but Jeff Greenwald uh, in Politico suggests otherwise. He says that Trump has won this war and that the Republicans, for better or worse, are embracing uh, the big lie and are rejecting a certain kind of ontological version of the world. So that's one of the stories uh, running in the news today. The other, of course, is about COVID and the vaccine. There's a headline about uh, the Ohio lottery giving five people a million dollars each to encourage vaccination uh, lots of debate about how dangerous these vaccinations are. And then some headlines this afternoon, the CDC saying that vaccinated people can go maskless in most places. That's good news for those of us who are fortunate enough to have had the vaccines. Uh, these stories seem to exist in parallel. But my guest today, I think, is suggesting that they're actually bound up intimately with one another. Um His name is Andy Norman. He has a new book out called Mental Immunity, Infectious Ideas, Mind Parasites, and the Search for a Better Way to Think. I think that wins the subtitle of the year. Anyone who included (laughs) Mind Parasites in a subtitle gets a special award from me. I can't give him a million dollars, but he gets my my, uh, pat on the back. He's naturally not far from Ohio. Uh, Andy is at the moment in Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania. He's uh, spent his career uh, one way or the other within Carnegie Mellon uh, University. Uh, So Andy, what is this relationship, if there is one, between the vaccine and immunizing ourselves from covid and the ontological debate now raging on and offline about truth and factuality.
1: Yeah, so the uh, present predicament with COVID, I think helps to underscore the relatively novel diagnosis that scientists are coming up with for why we live in a post-truth age. So it turns out, uh, and this is based on about 60 years of research, that just as our bodies have immune systems to protect against dangerous microbes, our minds also have immune systems, but their job is to protect us from infectious ideas. Um, obviously, mental immune systems function imperfectly under, even under even the best of circumstances, which is to say they let in some bad ideas and screen out some good ones. Um, and of course, what we're witnessing In today's day and age, with the big lie and disinformation campaigns, is the fact that people uh, are actually weaponizing information to hijack and compromise mental immune systems. Um, We now know that mental immune function can be compromised, but the good news is that we can actually learn to develop and re and strengthen our mental immune systems so that we are not taken advantage of by these peddlers of disinformation. Andy, uh, I'm not a scientist and, and I know
0: you're not either. I think uh, you you present yourself at least on your website as an author, a researcher and a public philosopher, but you're much better versed in the science of this than I am. Um, in all honesty, is there consensus within the scientific community about what you're talking about, about the idea of, of bad ideas being mind parasites is Cognitive immunology. Is this a mainstream science or is it
1: still on the fringe? Um, I would say that it's still very much an embryo. It's an emerging science. So, for, for about 2,000 years, even longer, philosophers have been incubating new sciences. And basically, what we do is we play with concepts and definitions, we try out test ideas in conversation. And every once in a while, we come up with uh, of a new way of looking at things or a new way of talking about things that catches on and actually changes and, and, and creates new sciences so the science of immunology came along a few two or three centuries ago and radically transformed the human condition and what we're finding now is that minds have immune systems just like bodies do and that if we learn how to care for them and strengthen them we could have, I think, a similarly big impact on human welfare. Now, now- Andy,
0: are, are there particular scientists who people might be familiar with, well-known public scientists, as you're a public philosopher, who have done work in this area? I mean, who do we associate with uh, cognitive immunology? Who are the, the pioneers in this field?
1: Yeah. So cognitive immunology is my is a term term of my own coinage. So. If you go out and survey- So you're the
0: scientist, or
1: or there there really are scientists behind this? Um, Philosophy and science uh, are often overlap considerably, and I'm a philosopher of science by training who takes the job of understanding science seriously. And I have contributed to scientific journals. Uh, But no, I was not trained. uh, I mean, I taught physics, but I uh, trained in graduate school as a philosopher of science. And so if you go out and interview 100 scientists today and ask them, have you heard of cognitive immunology? Very few will say they've heard
0: of it. What would a a biologist, how would a a typical biologist respond if if, if you or I made the argument that bad ideas, and and I'm quoting you from your book, are actual parasites? Would they laugh? Would they
1: shake their head? Would they say that's an absurd statement? Well, I had the good fortune of sharing uh, the central theses of my book with about two dozen scientists, psychologists, cognitive scientists, uh, biologists today, uh, earlier today, in a forum on the application of evolutionary Darwinian thinking uh, to some of life's big questions. And I have to say the response was extraordinarily enthusiastic. Um, yeah, and I don't want to present you as a quack. If you
0: were, I wouldn't have you on the show. And in all fairness to you, uh, the book does come with a, a very uh, enthusiastic foreword from Stephen Pinker, who is uh, one of the the, the 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 figures who most successfully bridges science and and philosophy. So, so there's something um, uh, credible in what you're arguing. Although I'm not convinced it's still part of mainstream
1: science. Yeah, I mean, it's in the process of, of going mainstream is what I would say. I think maybe one of the things I can do to help uh, folks understand why this has a very strong chance of becoming a mainstream science is to go back to the uh, 60 years ago, uh, a man named William McGuire, he's a psychologist. He did some research on how to create resistance to persuasion. And what he found was that if you expose a mind to a weakened form of an argument, and even better um, refute it or and express disdain for that argument, it turns out that you can induce resistance even to stronger versions of the same argument. Now he recognized what I think you will recognize, what you'll recognize also, Andrew, that the analogy here with inoculation is very strong. Mm. And so he called his theory inoculation theory and for 60 years, people, in, uh, maybe you might call them fringe psychologists or at least cutting edge psychologists, have been building on his work to show that minds behave as if they have immune systems. And that now there are uh, people who work with um, the concept of, so, so two researchers coming out of Holland have recently showed that uh, if you want to understand the spread of witchcraft beliefs in early modern Europe. Um, You can use some of the prevailing theories, but you get a far better explanation of why there was kind of a hysteria about witchcraft um, if you treat the spread of witchcraft's beliefs as a kind of contagion and, and that the false beliefs about witchcraft as mind parasites. And so these two researchers actually conclude, you know what, it's time we woke up and started recognizing that ideas and bad ideas in particular can spread virally. Um, and in, and yeah, I don't think there's any debate, uh, any debate about ideas spreading virally. We had the
0: MIT uh, scientist and historian of connectivity, N- and Nicholas Christakis on the show, who's done a lot of work in that area. But no one's quite mm-hmm. suggested that, and, and I'm quoting you here from your book, um, you say, ideologies have enormous power to disorder minds. Like demagogues, they exploit mental vulnerabilities. For thousands of years, ideologies have spread like diseases, warping worldviews, inciting violence and wreaking havoc on human prospects. Is that all ideologies, uh, Andy, or is it only the ones that you don't like?
1: (laughs) So I I certainly would not approve of, uh, I I don't endorse the use of the word ideology to mean the belief systems I, I dislike. Now, some people, the, the word ideology is used in two quite different ways. Some people use it as a as a word for just belief system or worldview, um, and that's a, a a neutral term. So both good ideologies and bad ideologies um, would exist on that use of the term. But I recommend in the book, but, but we have perfectly good synonyms for that kind that use of ideology um, like worldview and and belief system. What we actually need is a word to designate belief systems that are objectively problematic that objectively harm their hosts uh, and objectively harm uh, others.
0: I get that. So give me some examples of belief systems that objectively harm both as you I'm quoting you here their hosts themselves and others.
1: Well, let's see. Uh, Take the ideology of, I don't know, white nationalism. Um, This has spread in alarming ways in America recently, and it certainly creates all kinds of problems for American civil society. So it harms the larger body politic. Now, I'm not terribly familiar with the research on this, but I believe that embracing white supremacist or white nationalist ideologies are actually, is actually psychologically harmful to the people who embrace those.
0: A, those a skeptic might
1: say, Andy, and I know you're very familiar with these
0: responses because it's quite a controversial position you're taking. It's very, it's a very interesting argument. Uh, that What about black nationalism? Why, why is black nationalism any more or less a disease than white nationalism?
1: I don't know anything about black nationalism. Uh, it's the, this well, the I'm point. sure
0: you've done I, You quote Martin Luther King in the book. I'm sure you're familiar with the work of Malcolm X, who was one of the fathers of contemporary black nationalism. Yes.
1: Is that a sickness as well? Uh, I think there are elements of, Mar- of Malcolm X's philosophy that uh, have the potential to incite violence. And those elements of it, I think... Uh, can be reasonably objected to. Um, Martin Luther King is one of my heroes, um, and he and actually there's an interesting story I'd like to tell about this. I grew up in a household that practically worshiped Martin Luther King um, as an exemplar of, of you know, the, the, the fight for justice. Uh, and I learned years later after moving out of the home that Martin Luther King was a serial adulterer. Now, when I heard this information, I just refused to believe it. My mind could not accept this. Here was this guy who I'd been taught was sort of a morally pure exemplar of what we should all strive to be. Uh, And I was learning that this guy was unfaithful to his wife. Now, what happened in my mind when I heard that for the first time was that all kinds of objections swarmed into my mind to try to neutralize that information my mind's immune system was actually attacking information it viewed as threatening. I learned later that the information was true. Martin Luther King was not a faithful husband and that emotional defensive response was actually preventing me from understanding the truth and developing a more nuanced picture of reality. That's an example of the mind's immune system attacking the wrong kind of information. And I think it can happen to anyone.
0: You do indeed uh, bring up Martin Luther King at the end of your book. Uh, you're not the first or the last person to end your book with a quote about the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Um, why are you so convinced of this? It, it seems as if the, the culture of disinformation, of the big lie, particularly within the, the Republican Party today, as I suggested at the beginning, this is growing. It's not yeah. being controlled. If if there is a, a raging disease out there, we, we may have vaccines for COVID, but we certainly don't have a vaccine for the big lie at the moment.
1: Yeah. Well, so I don't mean to assert that uh, the universe left to itself will bend towards justice. I think uh, we have to fight for justice to, to so bend that. So we have to up. shape the universe, Andy. Yes, uh, and, so again, and you've I'm... got
0: this wonderful quote um, in the book, uh, borrowing from... Uh, Rousseau, um, uh, you, 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 uh, you, you, you uh, riff off uh, one of Rousseau's famous remarks uh, in the beginning of the social contract when Rousseau wrote, man is born free, but everywhere he is in chains. You write, the mind is born free, but everywhere it is in chains. So how are we going to un- unchain the mind? How are we going to vaccinate it against untruth, Andy?
1: Yeah, well, the answer, I, w- I wish I could answer that question uh, in detail in in three minutes or less, but um, there's actually a whole lot we can do to strengthen our mind's immune but you system. Have,
0: uh, uh, sorry to keep on interrupting, but you do have um, what you call a, a 12-step program, and I'm quoting you here, to cognitive immune health. So yes. very briefly, give me some highlights from
1: this 12-step program. Yeah, sure. Uh, so number one, listen to your doubts. Your doubts are your uh, the antibodies of the mind, and they're trying to tell you something. So if you hear new information or hear an idea and, and a little voice in the back of your head says, I'm not too sure about this, listen to that voice. It's probably trying to call your attention to a problematic feature of that idea or course of action. So healthy mental immune systems listen to the doubts. and They're very good at at generating doubts and and, uh, tuning in. Now, healthy mental immune systems don't always take doubts at faith value because, as I mentioned before, doubts can grow, can spiral out of control and also unhinge a mind. Another thing you can do, and, is and tr- let me just jump in here. I think
0: one one thing to bear in mind here is is walking is very good for that, isn't it? Exercise. I just read that exercise makes you healthy physically, but it probably makes you healthy mentally. I, I, my guess is the more you walk,
1: the more doubtful you are. Is that fair? You're a philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm quite sure walking is is very good for health. I don't, I'm not aware of any empirical studies that it promotes mental immune health, but it wouldn't surprise me if there.
0: Was but in it all oil. seriousness, Andy, uh, I, I take the point, of course, about skepticism, which is the the, the 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 mother's milk of philosophy. But isn't the problem with disinformation or misinformation that the people suffering from it aren't doubting? That they're the ones who are least
1: doubtful. So it's all very well saying, "Well, they need yeah. to doubt," but they don't. Well, actually, so Andrew, I think there are. Two very different ways your mind can become can can become highly infected with bad ideas. Number one is you can be too gullible and not ask enough questions. But the other way Like it can me, happen, right? Say again. Like me. Oh, I don't know. What I, I no, I'm joking it because that's I, my job asking questions. Go on. Yeah. Yeah, right. Ask questions like you. That's an excellent way to to strengthen the mind's immune system. But it, let me tell a joke that illustrates how the tendency to question can actually uh, subvert your mind's immune system. So Fred the flat earther dies and goes to heaven. St. Peter ushers him in and says, hey, you got a chance to chat with God, have fun. Fred walks in and says, "Hey, hey God, I've just got one question for you. I've spent my whole life promoting flat earth theory. I really have to know, is the world flat or is it round? God strokes his beard and says, sorry to say Fred, but the world is very round. Fred's face registers shock and recognition. And he says, this conspiracy goes higher than I thought. Uh. I I think most of us smile or chuckle at that because we understand that it reflects something interesting about the conspiracy theory infected mind, which is that you can become so good at doubting things that you can doubt all kinds of reliable information even while you're busy uh, accepting unreliable information.
0: Okay, well, give me a couple of other steps in this program, the twelve-step program, which will, yeah, which will, um, which will uh, establish mental immunity from infectious ideas and mind parasites.
1: Yeah, happy to. So it turns out that willful belief, believing things because you want them to be true, is really uh, damaging to the mind's immune system. If you indulge in wishful thinking in certain areas of your life, the evidence indicates that you become more susceptible to bad ideas in other areas of your life. Um, It's a good thing to learn to treat other people's challenges and objections as opportunities to learn Rather than as threats, because when you when incoming information triggers your threat response, your f- fl- fight or flight response, you'll tend to react defensively and uh, often miss out on an opportunity to learn and grow. That that's a mental immune disorder of a kind. I recommend that everyone uh, learn to treat their beliefs as house guests that might wear out their welcome. Beliefs can be great. They can give you a sense of solace. They can give you uh, a sense of purpose. But if you hang on to them too long, and even after they become uh, a drag on your own well-being and the well-being around you, um, then they become obstacles to your own growth as a human being. Are you a skeptic,
0: Andy, in the sort of in the Cartesian tradition? Uh, um, are you suggesting that we? Uh, uh, Descartes, of course, famously said that the only thing he trusts is himself. Are you suggesting we shouldn't even trust ourselves or at least our own minds?
1: No, I would say I'm very much not a skeptic in that sense. So just as it's possible to be too trusting, it's possible to be too suspicious. Um, and a healthy mental immune system knows when to be trusting, when to be suspicious. But is and this intuitive I- or, or uh, again, I mean, how does it know? Um the best way to look to learn what kinds of things to be suspicious of and what kinds of things to trust is to engage in lots of uh critical dialogue with friends so um the, the scottish philosopher david hume said that truth emerges from conversations from arguments among friends and going all the way back to ancient greece philosophers have recommended uh conversational idea testing where you where everybody gets to raise questions and challenges to see whether the ideas can withstand tough scrutiny. So rather
0: than uh, rather than Descartes, your hero, of course, is Socrates, um, the the father of 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 that kind of conversational um, method of of if not getting to the truth, circling the truth, We had recently uh, Nathan Bomey on the show, very different kind of thinker from you. He's a USA Today um, journalist, but he's confronting the same issue in our culture. Um, His book is called Bridge Builders, Bringing People Together in a Polarized Age, and his Hmm. focus is on getting people to talk. Is that a philosophical endeavor? Is that good for
1: our mental immunity, Andy? I'm quite certain that... uh, Nathan is correct, that that uh, talking, learning to talk again about difficult subjects is a critical way to improve our collective well-being, number one, uh, and to build our mental immunity, number two. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of having hard conversations in mutually respectful ways, um, in being just as eager to learn from the other guy as you are to have them learn from you.
0: Well, recently also, uh, I'm curious on this, we had actually, it was yesterday, John Levy on the show, a very different kind of book, You're Invited, The Art and Science of Cultivating Influence. But he brought up somebody in his book who I know you're also uh, quite familiar with and used as an example for your theory, uh, Daryl Davis, the black musician who spent his time in conversation with KKK members, uh, an African-American, a great African-American musician who convinced many KKK guys to give up their their hoods and their evil ideologies. Uh, What is it about Daryl Davis that teaches us about fighting cognitive immunology?
1: Um, So so I had the privilege of bestowing my university's Carl Sagan Award on Daryl Davis just last November. Um, He's a man I admire enormously. for his courage the guy has actually been he's again a black blues musician who's been to kkk rallies uh, and who has had some of the most difficult conversations you can imagine and through a combination if you if you talk to daryl about what's his secret how what does he do that works number one is he he listens first he he sits down with somebody who has abhorrent opinions and without challenging or denigrating him in any way he just listens and if you listen long enough to somebody who has incoherent or dysfunctional views they'll start to see the inconsistencies and the dysfunction for themselves so now daryl is has has charisma to spare he has a very incisive wit and he's able to after listening a while ask just the perfect question that'll help um, you know, a Klansman wake up from his delusions, white supremacist delusions. So that there, there are, Daryl brings some extraordinary qualities to the, to the job, but every single one of us can learn to have those difficult conversations and to help people uh, grow out of the rabbit holes or dig themselves out of the rabbit holes they've, they've uh, descended into.
0: And I like your ideas in some ways, in other ways I find them. I have to admit, rather chilling because you seem to be suggesting that bad ideas—and who really knows what a bad idea is—is a—is a, is a disease. Uh, you know as well as I do. You you've spent your life in and out of the university. The the culture wars are as bad now as they've ever been. Uh, the the woke controversies today—one of the headlines, uh, not the Israeli Gaza headline, of course. Uh, but the headline um, uh, on um, Apple, the, uh, uh, my, one of my local companies, the big tech companies, is that they severed tires with a well-known writer, Antonio Garcia Martinez, uh, because in his book, Chaos Monkeys, he wrote some rather unfortunate things about women and other minorities. Um, hmm. Are you worried in any way that your ideas, while they are, I accept, noble could be used in, in in truly chilling ways to establish the kind of uh, intellectual orthodoxy that um, transformed, no, say, the noble ideas of Marx into Stalinism or transformed the ideas of Plato's Republic into totalitarian dictatorships?
1: That, that's a marvelous question, Andrew. And yes, I, I do worry about that some. So not too many months ago, the... Chinese government was using the language of inoculation of mind inoculation to talk about why they were uh, why they had internment camps for the Uyghur minority population uh, in China, and they were actually trying to um, brainwash the Uyghur population uh, and using the language of what I of of mind infection. To justify it, and so yes, the, these concepts um, can be abused, as many worthwhile concepts can, and I think we need to be really careful with them. Um, when I when I converse with somebody who disagrees with me, I set aside the idea that that their that their beliefs might be mind infections, and I deal with them as a person with respect. But when I step back and try to understand. Well, when I look at my own mind and my own struggles to let go of dysfunctional or uh, incorrect beliefs, I actually find the, the metaphor of mind infection, uh, and actually I think it's more than mere metaphor, but I, but I find it really useful and it makes me more humble. It makes me more eager to inquire. It, it, it gives me motivation to try to spot and remove the ideas that aren't serving me well and that aren't serving... Uh, the world well
0: you but in, in a way uh, i'm sure you're you're very familiar with the work of jeremy bentham um isn't your work a kind of hardcore utilitarianism you suggest that good ideas make us happy bad ideas make us miserable so we need more and more good ideas we need more truth there's not a lot of ambiguity in your philosophy
1: uh, I think there is a good deal of subtlety in the philosophy, but uh, but I'll plead guilty to having a, a distinctly consequentialist or utilitarian element of my thinking about ethics and right and wrong. Um, I mean, so, so I've, I've taught ethics for years and utilitarians like Jeremy Bentham have argued that the consequences of an act completely determine the rightness or wrongness of it completely independent of the motives or intentions behind it. Now, I think that he was wrong about that. But I think everybody who thinks hard about ethics agrees that the consequences of an action have some bearing on the goodness or badness uh, of, of those actions. So consequentialists, utilitarians, and and ethicists from many other different traditions, say um, you know, the virtue ethics tradition, um, they all agree that we need to pay attention to, to the consequences of, of our actions, of our ideas, of our policies, because they're certainly relevant, um, whether or not our intentions and our character traits enter the enter the equation or not. Um, we also recently had uh, Margaret Atwood
0: on the show. Her dystopia, The, Ma- the Handmaid's Tale, um, is, of course, a well-known book. I'm sure you're very familiar with it. It, 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 reading your book reminded me in a, in a way of the handmaid's tale of, of revolutionaries well-intentioned perhaps who went so profoundly wrong mm. um again i i've asked this question before but I, I and i take your point on um i take your point on the chinese um but you have chapters like mind upgrade. Can we update the brain's operating system? There's something very brave new world, something very Huxleyan about your work, which is particularly chilling in a digital age where upgrading the mind and this distinction between machines and humans are increasingly unclear. Well, so Andrew,
1: I I think that one of the reasons many people find ideas like this chilling initially is that we've been trained by our culture to that it's wrong to actually make frank assessments of the of the goodness or badness of ideas. So the prevailing orthodoxy says, "Who are we to say which ideas are good, which ideas are bad?" Surely any attempt to judge an idea bad, somebody else's idea bad, is basically just um, an attempt to impose our worldview on them. That idea was very much in the air when I went to college back in the 1980s and it left me among others with a kind of relativistic point of view that led me to think none of us has standing to actually judge what's right or what's wrong or what's good or what's bad. Now we know from 2,500 years of philosophy that that attitude um, compromises value inquiry, And if the analysis of my book is correct, it also compromises mental immunity. Um, Look, I I devote a whole chapter to how we avoid the thought police problem. We need to be able to call out bad ideas. We need to do the hard work of eliminating bad ideas from the common meme pool. But I'm not advocating uh, a thought police, and I'm not advocating the use of coercive tactics to... Uh, force the ideas I think are best down anyone's throat. That's not my idea of how we should together become more responsible thinkers. the the model I develop in the book is based on the way science promotes responsible believing about the facts. A community of scientists work together, they consider each other's objections and they crowdsource, the job of testing ideas to figure out which ones are really true, which ones are reliable, and which ones to discard. We can do the exact same thing with ideas about right and wrong. We can do the exact same thing with everyday ideas. And I'm talking about a crowdsourced form of idea testing where everybody is included and nobody is forced to uh, except what i or anybody else thinks um, the the beautiful thing about reason giving dialogue is that it offers us a non coercive way of changing minds and if you buy into the program i develop in the book i'm i'm all in 100% for persuasive non coercive idea change and i and i specifically and explicitly disavow the kind of Coercive. Um, we're going to vaccinate your mind, whether you like it or not. Which I imagine you're attributing to me, Andrew. But um,
0: it, yeah, it's well, not I, what I, I think you what worry. I'm suggesting is that uh, your 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 work is nuanced, and um, but but someone less nuanced than you could pick this up and actually do great injustice with it. But I guess that's true of many books. We had earlier on the uh, last month, Ximena Vengochea, Listen Like You Mean It, a book about listening. You've done a great job listening, Andy. Uh, I'm sure you haven't always liked all my questions, but I think this has been a, a very interesting and useful conversation. Uh, your book, Mental Immunity Infectious Ideas, Mind Parasites, and the Search for a Better Way to Think, in a way, may not be about philosopher kings in the tradition of. Socrates and Plato's Republic, perhaps more about uh, scientists as kings in in, in the world. It's a very interesting, very provocative book. Uh, I'm not sure everyone will agree with everything in it, but it's very relevant in our age of the big lie. Um, Andy, I know you are in in, uh, Pittsburgh now, Pennsylvania, in our Mm -hmm. times of the big lie in May 2021. We're all stuck inside. In addition to your new book, Mental immunity. What else should people be
1: reading? Uh, yeah, I ha- ha- do have a book rec- recommendation on in the same general area. But first, I want to thank you, Andrew, for your uh, very sharp questions. I'm I I'm an admirer of the capacity to ask tough, hard questions, and just like one of my heroes, Socrates, you're very good at that. And I I actually. Enjoy the process of having my well, ideas. Thank you. just-
0: and you're, uh, you're you're quite a conversationist yourself, Andy. So we'll have to do this again. I'd, when, I'd like uh, that have- when, when when your scientists are ruling. Maybe uh, maybe you'll put me in prison, and we can we can do this in my jail cell.
1: <laughs> Trust me, if 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 my if my ideas take that won't happen to you or anybody right. else. If my ideas take hold, no, I'm joking, but uh, no, I appreciate it. So, what what other book would you suggest in these strange times? Yeah, so a good friend of mine, Lee McIntyre, kind of wrote the book on post truth. Um, And since then, he's actually decided to write a book on how to talk to a science denier. He's he's actually doing the hard work of figuring out Mm. how to deconvert science deniers before they, you know, prevent needed access, uh, needed action on climate change. Uh, I'll give you a teaser, uh, you and your your listeners, a teaser. Um, Lee, who's a straight laced a philosopher of science, went undercover at a flat earth convention Wow! And st- saw if he could deconvert flat earthers and it makes for a great story. When's the a book lot. out? We'll have to get him on the show. I believe it's several months out yet, but uh, be on the lookout for it and I'd be happy to connect you with him.
0: Well, Andy Norman, the author of Mental Immunity, great conversation, really important subject. Keep well and will have you back, maybe uh, maybe with Lee in the future. Thank you so much.
1: Love it. Thank you, Andrew.